All right, April, we're going to kick it off with uh, the easiest question ever. But what is your franchise story? How do you fall into this crazy thing of franchising? Oh, well, um, I actually am an attorney by education and by the you know first career that I had. Uh, after being a prosecutor for about 10 years, I was looking to make a change. Um, and once you're a criminal prosecutor, like that's it, it tends to be a pretty exciting job. <laughs> like it's really interesting to read all the police reports, right? All those true crime stories that people listen to on podcasts. That was my daily life. So um when it got time to make a change and I was thinking about being an, an attorney in another realm, everything seemed super boring, like put me to sleep. So um, I've always had an entrepreneurial streak, just like many, you know, pretty much everybody who's entering, um, at least as a franchisee. And I happened um, to see some friends of mine had opened a kickboxing gym across the state. And it looks like such a cool concept. And so kind of was looking into it just to support them. One thing led to another, realized it was a franchise and then started thinking maybe we should bring it to St. Louis. And um, that's what we did. So we signed up without knowing anything about running a business. Um, we signed three franchise agreements uh, with the intention of being like the first and the biggest franchisee here in the St. Louis market. And then within three years, we ended up opening four locations because um, and then became a mentor to other franchisees, both inside and outside of the brand, and ultimately sold all of my locations in 2020, um, despite the pandemic. That was our exit plan. And we sold those, which then transitioned me into what I do now with Ask April Porter, my current company. So go back to deciding to become a franchisee, because I'm curious how it relates to today's time. But you get talked into a three unit deal or did you come to the table with I want to own three units? Well, we in the due diligence process, we we were examining what the other the other gyms in the system were making. And just simple math told me well, we would never be able to make. Um, what my dream income would be with a single location. So it was kind of that, you know, well, this is kind of a go big or go home moment. If we try to play small here, we're going to be pushing a boulder up a hill. So we want the fast track. We're going to do three. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great insight. You asked the question of what is my dream income first? And then you looked at the business that you're buying into. And then you said, in order to get there, we can get to three units. I mean, my advice to any franchisee or franchisor is always qualify at three period. Meaning even if you're going to award one unit, qualify the buyer at three. That means when they open up one, uh, they're they're not going to be stressed beyond beyond belief because they're bleeding cash and they have no no cash left. Like they're going to be properly capitalized. There's a little bit more capital that uh, is available for a rainy day, and there's capital to scale that if they do this the right way, they can get up to those three units. And so I think it's a it's a very uh, smart approach that you took. And then you got to unit four. What made you say I don't want to continue in this? I'm ready to exit as a franchisee. Well, I actually had decided um, on day one what our exit strategy would be. 
So I didn't wait until, you know, we were at four and then say, oh, I think that's enough. Um, what we had determined, uh, again, trying to think uh, future forward, right? Um, fitness is wrought with fads. And my, my perception was this is going to be the hot new thing on the market. And it's in five to seven years, it's going to be going at a pretty good rate. That would probably be a good time to get out and be get out on the high before it takes a turn and something new and shiny comes into the market um, to replace it. It didn't mean that I didn't have faith in the brand that it would have longevity. Um, it was just more of uh, like what's optimal, right? How could we grow and get out and be um, at least do our best to cash in on all the work that we're putting in. And then from there, um, potentially go on to a, something else that was going to be even more lucrative. Because when we originally invested in our first franchise, we were also operating within like, what kind of investment can we afford? And it was a, um, with, it was a, not a modest investment. It was a significant investment, but we all know the range of what you can invest to become a franchisee is very wide. And so this was a, a low entry compared to a lot of the opportunities out there. Okay. So exit plan happens. Did you plan on transitioning your career? Was that in the blueprint or was it like, we're going to exit and then I got to figure out what's next? Um. I didn't really have a plan for what was next, I will say. I mean, I, I knew that we were going to go to the next level from there, but I didn't know what that next level would be. I certainly didn't think it was it would be what I'm doing now. This was um, discovered in my experience as a franchisee that there was a major gap in the industry that no one was filling. And it turns out that I ended up also with a passion to fill that gap. So kind of was a I guess, I don't know, divine intervention. <laughs> what What is that gap that you're filling now? Right. So um, I think there's a real disconnect between franchisors and franchisees in the understanding of what a franchisor is um, obligated to provide to the franchisee, what a franchisor, um, what they're obligated to provide, what they should be providing and what they might want to provide, but really isn't a good idea for them to wade into those waters. Um, franchisees believe generally first time franchisees coming in believe, oh, my franchisor is going to give me everything I need to be successful in this brand. And the reality is that a franchisor is going to teach you the model that they've established that has been successful for that, for that franchisor and for others. But a franchisee has to bring something from within themselves and apply it to that model to truly fulfill their own vision of success, which is probably different than the franchisor's vision of success for them. Like a franchisor's vision of success is generally like, get your stores open and they're profitable. Okay, great. Then that's what we promised. But a franchise, like for us, our vision of success, when I did the backwards math, was at least three locations to get us to that income level. So a franchisee's vision of success is often different and bigger. And then when they get in there and 
um, the franchisor isn't teaching them how to overcome their limiting beliefs, how to think more like an entrepreneur versus an employee, how to understand strategic thinking when it comes to both marketing, sales, and operations, how to lead a team. Um, even if they were an executive for a corporation, leading a team as a small business owner where you're starting out working in the model yourself is completely different. And so those things need to be learned and applied to the model if you really truly want to be one of the top franchisees in the brand. Putting your lawyer hat on, does the FDD, I, I, it obviously serves a purpose, but is the FDD partly at fault here in that even from economic standpoint or what you disclose or what you're able to disclose, that it actually hurts some of that process that sets some of the false expectations. Cause you could take, take the, the Jimmy John's approach, which, you know, it was like 17 locations that they were disclosing this giant number in. And so the numbers that they're disclosing don't align with what a franchisee is going to be able to do. And you really have to be a multi-unit franchisee to make the wealth that you want. But does the FDD on the, from a legal viewpoint, does that actually hurt what your vision is of, of really a transparent approach to, to business? Exactly. Um, I don't think the FDD hurts it. I do think the information that is considered standard or like the general practice of how we've disclosed information in the FDD as an industry, I think that that does not serve to fill this gap. And it's really interesting because I think there could be two very slight changes to the FDD. Uh, but the, as far as the franchisor, what they're putting in their FDD, that could go a long way to um, really fill this gap. And one of those is disclosing in the other fees section, a line item for professional development and yeah. range that a franchisee needs to be investing or budgeting to invest in their own professional development outside of what the franchise or provides. Um, I believe that that would go a long way to getting the conversation started like, whoa, whoa, why do I need this line item here? What's this about? Oh, well, here's what we give you. And then you need to develop, you know, on your own too. Yeah. that. And I also believe that uh, franchisors, if they mandated professional development. Now it doesn't have to be with a particular company. It doesn't even have to, they don't even have to pull the trigger on it from the beginning, but having that option in there to see a struggling franchisee and saying, okay, it's time that you, that we're going to exercise this mandate and you have to enroll in some kind of professional development course in order to start to get on the right path with your unit. I think that's a good point. I mean, if, if I'm coaching a good franchisor based on the advice that you just said, the professional development has to come from the franchise business consultants. However, most franchisors don't invest properly into the team that's going to support the franchisee. So sometimes a business consultant could have 20, 30, 40 franchisees underneath their watch, which means they can't give them the tools to do it. And the second thing, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I've said this many times that a franchisee on day one most likely was an expert in one or two things. It could be like, I was in HR and now I'm going to go into business ownership, or I was good at sales or marketing or ops, whatever it ends up being, it's one dimensional. And so an entrepreneur is crazy enough that they don't, they don't see it. Like they're like, I'm going to go be an expert in everything. A franchisee can't. And so when you're saying, hey, 
not only operate your business and your supply chain, but also be an expert in HR and labor relations. That's very, very challenging. And so the odds, in my opinion, actually decrease if you don't give them the, the professional development. And if I go to the next level, I think franchisors um, are not giving back training that is equal to how the franchise fees are skyrocketing to pay commissions to brokers. And so these oh. are going up, support is going down. And so the only people that win in those scenarios is the FSOs or the brokers, not the franchisee or the franchisor. And that sets up a really poor pathway that we can't ever get to be in April of three units, add on one and exit because the brand just doesn't is not equipped, especially the merging brands is equipped to make the franchisee successful. I agree 100%. And there's other factors in there as well. Like <clears throat> there's a lot of franchisors now that they themselves never owned multiple units before becoming a franchisor. So a franchisor's fastest path to growth in the brand is to develop multi-unit owners. That's a difficult thing to do when all of your systems and processes were built around a single unit because things change as you scale into multiple units. So then as a franchisor, you're relying on attracting uh, um, franchisees who have already been multi-unit owners of other brands, which for an emerging brand is difficult because you don't have the proven record to attract potentially that level of a franchisee yet. So if you can develop your single unit or your, your first-time business owner franchisees to become entrepreneur thinkers that can manage multiple units, you're actually going to explode the growth of your brand. And the other thing that you had mentioned um, is when you said, oh gosh, and now my brain doesn't want to work. Um, it was the first thing that you had mentioned about, oh, the franchise or the franchise business coaches having so many franchisees they're working with. So not only is that part of the issue, but also you have to train your franchise business coach to be able to handle the most common problems that they're facing because the time is so limited. And what we're seeing is that the mental health side of business ownership is the biggest block. So we have to dive into each individual person's like, what is their limiting belief or what is their beliefs around money and how it should be spent or shouldn't be spent? What are their beliefs around the way that they should or shouldn't talk to their employees? Or what does accountability mean? Does it mean punishing your employees? Does it mean um, letting, you know, I can't tell you how many franchisees tell me that, you know, they're working so many hours in the business. And when I ask about the scheduling, they're like, well, everybody gives me their availability and nobody can work on a Saturday. And I'm like, whose who's schedule is it? It's not theirs. It's yours. You're the business. You have to be control those things. Um, like that's the kind of thing that franchise business owners as our franchise business coaches, no matter how good they are, they're just not equipped to handle those individual um, secret things that are holding people back. And franchisees don't want to share those with the franchisor because they're afraid of being judged and being, you know, seen as unworthy or not doing a good job because they have to report to that person their numbers. So they need an outside like person who's like, look, I'm not here to judge you. Let's just get it. Let's just fix it. You know, let's work together. Um, to do that. So. Well, I think, I mean, it, it, it's interesting that you're saying this, like at, at the end of the day, I think there's a big difference that franchising 
is not addressing, which is a, there's a difference between business investing and being a small business owner. And I think we probably cloud it by calling it franchise investments or investing as a term. You invest in stocks, you, you pay for the stock, you, someone else is operating the business. If it does well and it hits the earnings, then you make money in your stock and that's, that's how it works. Here, I think it's very critical that if, to the buyer, like you're gonna have to get your hands dirty and then to the franchisor, you have to understand that they don't know what happens when their hands get dirty. Right. And so when you when you don't connect those dots, then you set your franchisees up for maybe not failure, but misalignment of expectations. And as soon as misalignment of expectations happens with a franchisee, their validation starts to decrease and their enthusiasm for your franchise decreases as well, which means the odds of them actually being one of your high performers is almost gone. Like it's really hard to recover from that because it goes all the way back to the, the mental health of being a business owner. And it's very complex. I think when we call it franchise sales, uh, we actually oversimplify this when it is a super complex thing to be a franchisee. It's not, it's not as easy as just flipping on those lights and magically making money. Yeah. hundred percent. You hit the nail on the head there. So, so April to someone, if you want to sum this up, someone, there's a ghost that has watched our conversation to this point, And now you want to tell them why you, why now, why should they reach out to you? What is the, what is the point of reaching out to you? And what do they, what do you want them to know about your business? Well, the franchisees that I work with, in fact, I just had a discussion with one this morning. Generally, I'm the person you should call when you feel like there's this void in your knowledge, but you don't know what it is. It's like you don't even know the right questions to ask. And that's why you got into franchising is because you thought you you don't know the right questions to ask, but somebody was just going to spoon feed you the answers and then light bulbs would go on. And here you are, you've made it through your franchisor's training. And while you know how to operate that model expertly, you still don't feel whole in your business knowledge, your business confidence, and your um, your leadership ability to take it to the next level. And that's what we help you do, is we help you find the answers to the questions you don't know to ask to fill in all of those gaps and then scale from there. And to be quite honest, for a lot of our clients, they're, we don't help them scale. We help them exit because what we discover is that you chose a franchise that doesn't align with your ultimate vision. You know, if it's a franchise that requires the owner to be an operator and it's open seven days a week, then that may not align with what you thought you were going to get out of it. At, you know, you thought eventually you'd be an absentee owner. Well, the, the brand may not be built to really allow you to do that. So sometimes we help franchisees exit and get into what they should be doing, which ends up being a win for both them and the franchisor as well. I love it. I mean, ultimately, they're, you're, you're an advocate on both sides in that, in that scenario, whether the franchisor understands that or not. You know, for, forever, my entire time in franchising, I think uh, the industry has not looked down on, but hasn't celebrated the resale as much as it should. An exit of a business is such a big positive win in everything other than franchising. Yet a resale is so awesome because now you establish your business, you're able to exit with some sort of uh, return on investment. It might not be what you expected, but there's a return. 
and you guiding them along the way, ultimately you're also filling the gap for the franchisor where their franchise business consultants don't know how to have those conversations, most likely because they've never exited a business themselves or operated as a franchisee themselves. So I love that. I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate the direction you're going in. Uh, look forward to seeing what happens next in your career. Uh, I have a feeling based on that first roadmap, I've, I became a lawyer, I exited, I became a franchisee, I exited, started my consultancy, I exit, and now you're going to do something else. So <laughs> at some point it's going to come. <laughs> I, I'm not giving away my secrets. <laughs> April, nice, nice chatting. Uh, this is another episode of Meet the Franchise Supplier. Thanks, April. Thanks, Nick. <laughs>